Hope everybody's doing good after Thanksgiving. Yeah? Okay, right on. Yeah, that's good. I'm doing good. I ate a lot of sweet potatoes, though, man. Tons of them. I'm going to talk to you guys tonight, or this morning, about um, purity. And um, we're going to be all over the Word of God, but the, the title of the message is Purity Precedes Power. And um, I want you to write that down. Purity precedes power. And it's really a message about overcoming sin in our life. I think all of us, if we were to sit down and, and, and just say, hey, what do you want in your life? You know, you'd probably say, hey, I want to overcome sin in my life. I'd like to have, you know, uh, to have victory over sin in my life. Um, well, this is the message for you. Um, and it really has to do with um, that idea that we... Seek purity first. And it's through purity that we see the power of God work in our life. And the reason why I wanted to stress that whole principle of purity precedes power is because a lot of times we kind of get it backwards. And we tend to stress strength in the Christian life and in our battle against sin. And you've probably been there before in your life where you've struggled with an area of sin in your life and you've prayed, God, give me the strength. And the focus has been on the strength. God, give me the strength to overcome this area of sin in my life. And what I want you to see is how the Bible talks about first seeking purity. Praying for purity and seeking purity first to see the power of God to overcome sin in your life. If you guys turn with me, like I said, we're going to be all over the place, but if you go to Isaiah chapter 57, verse um, 14, it says there, and it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road, remove the obstacles out of the way from my people, and you get the idea of removing sin, removing obstacles, that whole idea of getting rid of things. And then it says, for this is what the High and Holy One says, who lives forever, whose name is Holy. And I want us to understand that God is holy. And that's where we first need to start off on this whole idea of purity preceding power. Is that God, our God, is a holy God. And God has a desire as a holy God to do something in our life. And it's pretty awesome. If you flip over to chapter 58 of Isaiah, you get a little insight into what God's desiring to do in your life and my life. And and this is kind of exciting and encouraging Um, I find a lot of encouragement from a passage in verse 6, chapter 58 of Isaiah. It says, is this not not the kind of fasting I have chosen? And God basically says, is this not what I desire? And he says, to loose the chains of injustice and you untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. God's desire is to set you free from sin in your life. And you might have come in here and you might have been involved in repetitive sin in your life. Sin that has just followed you and followed you. And I'm, I'm here today to tell you that you can be set free from that sin. There's a passage in the book of John, verse 36 or 38, that says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And I just want to give you that hope that there is freedom in Christ this morning for those that are here, and that's all of us that struggle with sin in our life. 
The first thing, like I said, that we need to look at is that God is holy. In the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 1, verse 13, the word tells us that God's eyes are too pure to look upon evil. Our God is a holy and a pure God. We live in a Christian culture that has brought God down to our image, to our level, in order to justify our lives. A lot of times you don't hear much about the holiness of God. When you think of the Christian church, a lot of times you don't think of holiness. It's just not there. You just don't really think of God as being holy. And when I think of holiness, um, I know we don't use that term today a lot, but what I, I tend to think of is whole, just complete. Holiness means God is whole. He is complete, where we are not whole. We have holes in us, you know, areas of sin that will cause destruction, even death in our life. So the church itself, when you look at it culturally, you don't see much about holiness so much today. A.W. Tozer, and I recommend this book to anybody, it's called The Holiness of God. Are the knowledge of the holy, actually. And it's a wonderful book about God. And he says in there, Until we have seen ourselves as God sees us, we are not likely to be much disturbed over conditions around us, as long as they do not get so far out of hand as to threaten our comfortable way of life. And that's so true. You know, until we look at first the holiness of God, until we realize how holy God is, then we really aren't going to look at our life and, and really examine it and see the areas that are really unholy, the areas that we really don't want to deal with in our life. It's not until we really see that there's a holy God that we are to serve. And this is the same holy God that showed himself on Mount Sinai and tempest and thunderings and lightnings. And this is the so, same holy God that before you could come to him in the Old Testament, you had to bring blood an offering for your sin. This is the same holy God that struck down priests in the Old Testament that did not come before him in a holy way, but presented, them, presented themselves before God in an unholy way. See, God is whole, and everything that comes before him has to be made holy. We see in the New Testament that's done by the work of Jesus Christ for us. And in 1 Peter, it talks about us, as Christians, should live a life of holiness. And if you've read the Bible before, you've probably heard this. Be holy as I am holy. The Bible repeats that over and over again. Be holy as I am holy. Be complete, be holy just as I am holy. You are to reflect God's holiness in that way. The people of Israel were to do that in every aspect of their life. In your Old Testament... It talks about this nation, Israel. And the nation Israel had dietary laws. They had every kind of laws, cleanliness laws. I mean, everything you think of. And a lot of times when we start reading the Bible, we don't go into those parts of the Bible, right? We don't get, get into Leviticus and stuff like that and go, hey, I'm going to read Leviticus today. you know. But, I mean, there's a lot of richness there. There is so much richness there. And, and God was saying, you need to present yourself holy before me because you're representing me. Because you're a representative of my holiness to a lost and dying world. And, and so in the New Testament, we see that God doesn't dwell no longer in a tabernacle, in a moving church. He doesn't dwell anymore in a temple. But in 1 Corinthians, it says God dwells now in 
us. We are the temple of God. He dwells in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And purity, our purity, is supposed to reflect the holiness of God. It should be there in our life. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 35, growing up I used to hear this song by uh, a band that used to talk about a highway to hell. Some of you guys just go, yeah, I know that, Sam. And, uh, and that is biblical. First, or it's in Proverbs, first Proverbs. First Proverbs, chapter 7. It's in the only Proverbs, right? Chapter 7. A highway to hell it talks about. And when it's talking about a highway to hell, do you know what the subject of that whole proverb is? Proverbs chapter 7? The idea is purity. It is not being pure. And in this one, this is talking about this highway of heaven. It's kind of a cool cha- uh, verse. Verse 8 of chapter 35 of Isaiah. It says, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. Notice there's going to be this highway of God. And this, it's going to be called the highway of holiness. I mean, you just see the picture, man. And just whole, God's place, going into God's kingdom, it, it, what goes in there is holiness. You know, and it says, the unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Now, notice it says, for those who walk in that way. And what's the way that it's talking about? It's talking about holiness. It's talking about a holy way of life, a pure way of living, walking in purity. Just as God is holy and pure, I am to reflect that purity and holiness in my life, in all aspects. You know, it would be foolishness if we were to presume upon the grace of God and think that we can live a, a life apart from purity and see God. And let me say that again. It would be foolish for us to presume upon the grace of God and think that we can live a life apart from purity and see God. There's, two, there's a couple passages. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 8, says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Who's going to see God? The pure in heart. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, it, it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You ain't going to see the Lord if you're not what? Holy. Purity, holiness. If you don't have those things going for you, you know, then it would be foolish for us to presume upon the grace of God. And what I mean by that is this. You remember in the temptation, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, Satan quoted the Bible to our Lord and said, hey, why don't you throw yourself off this mountain? And and the Bible says, and Satan quotes the Bible and says, the angels will take charge of you lest you dash your foot against a stone. So Satan says, hey, Jesus, throw yourself from this cliff. You know, the word, you know the word, Jesus. It says, you know, God the Father is going to take care of you. So do it, you know. But Jesus did not presume upon the grace of God. And instead, he rebuked Satan and said, but it also says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. And what we can do is kind of tend to presume upon the grace of God in our life. And that kind of looks like, well, hey, you know what? You know, I like doing this area of my life. I like this sin in my life. You know, it's kind of comfy. It's kind of in my life. It's what I do. 
you know, and even though I know God's word says something against it, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want nothing to do with, you know, this is my life. I like going to church. I like people to see me. I like being a part of things. I like doing all the, the, the church things. But yet, you know, God's a God of grace. He forgives me. I know he loves me. I know he cares for me. But I don't, I don't want to deal with this area of my life. And we end up presuming upon the grace of God. And let me tell you, there is some strong warning of that in our Bible about presuming upon the grace of our Lord. And if we at this time in our life, in your Christian life, get uncomfortable at a sermon like this because you know we bring up or I bring up the idea of not presuming upon the grace of God because it makes you go, man, and look at your sin in a real way, then I thank God that we bring it up. Because it would be... Um, detrimental to your spiritual health if you were to presume upon the grace of God and not deal with the sin in your life. See, God calls us to live as examples of his purity and holiness. And if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, you'll see how Paul talked about this pursuing of purity. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. It says, it starts off really convicting, verse 1. I mean, we read verse 1 and we're already like, wow. Okay, Lord, you got me. Verse 1 says, be imitators of God. <laughs> wow. Did you get that? Man, your, your life is to imitate God. Your life is to imitate God. It says, therefore, as dearly loved children... And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater. He has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. And that is so important what Paul says. I, you know, it, it's easy, it would be easy for me to come up and deceive you with empty words. To say, you know what, hey, don't deal with the issues in your life. Don't deal with the sin. Don't deal with the impurity that's within the body of Christ and the impurity that's in our culture that has infiltrated the church. And the stats on the impurity in the church are just just radical. Promise keepers, when asked, promise keeper men, 53% of promise keeper men admitted to viewing pornography in the last week. 50% of all pastors struggle with pornography. That's a lot. 50% of the churches, everybody in the church struggles with impurity. You know, when I think of how the world has just consumed impurity in our culture, um, you know, the Word's telling us that we are to live holy and pure from that. We are to live lives of purity. Yet we have a $57 billion industry, which is, check this out. You want to hear something crazy? This is basketball franchises, baseball, and football. That's the amount of money that the pornography industry generates. 
all of those combined. Football, basketball, baseball. That's 7% what's on the web today. 7% of all sites is pornography. That's a lot of stuff, a lot of pages. And that affects us. We are to live a life, it says, of purity. And it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. And man, you know, if you're struggling with those areas of your life, and not only just pornography, but you're struggling with drug addiction, you're struggling with alcohol addiction, or any kind of uh, substance abuse, or anything that's going on in your life that's sin in your life, then I can't deceive you with empty words and just say, oh, it's okay. And if you're ignoring it, and you're just like, oh, I don't want to deal with it in my life. Oh, I don't, you know, I like going to church. I don't want to deal with it. Then these words are so important to us. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, because of the sin, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. It says, for we once walked in darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now, since what Jesus Christ has done, let us walk separately in that holiness, in that purity, to reflect who God is, His holiness, His purity. Purity precedes power in our life in overcoming sin issues. When I was uh, first saved, or actually the first three years I lived in Southern California, I remember having a heart to really reach out to my friends, and all of us can relate to that. We, if you're a Christian, you want to, you have a heart to want to reach out. And um, I used to go over to their house, and they'd all be smoking the herb, you know, just totally getting high and stuff like that. And you know, and I'd just be totally like, hey, you know, I want to reach out to them. I want to, I want to share with them. God, just give me the strength, man, to to stand in the gap, you know. And, and you know, I use all the cool Christian words and stuff like that. And and I'd always stumble. You know, I'd always fall. You know, I'd get in there with them and hang out a little while, and, you know, everybody would be getting high, and I'd be, you know, breaking down Daniel chapter 9, 490-year prophecy, and getting all crazy on them, you know. And and then, then lo and behold, I'd be smoking out. You know what I mean? And, and I'd go home, and I'd be like, man, Lord, you didn't give me strength. Where was the strength? You know, and then I go, Lord, pray for strength. Go to church that Sunday, come back, pray for strength. Lord, give me strength, you know. And But one problem, you know why it never worked? Because I always sought strength when I should have been seeking what? Purity. I should have been seeking purity in my life. If I would have been seeking purity at that point in my life, I would have looked at the pipe, I would have looked at me, I would have looked at the door. And I would have went, bing, I'm hitting the door. You know, and there's victory. There would have been victory. I would have saw the power of God in my life through seeking purity. Turn with me in in your Bibles to the book of Acts. And I bring up, um, I bring up those stats on pornography, not not to not to um, to make you make you aware, but I want you to know that that I've experienced a victory over all these areas of my life. And I, I, and believe me, if I went into my life story with you guys, all these areas have, have affected me. I am from the porn capital of the world, um, San Fernando Valley. My dad worked in that industry. I, I've been involved with all that stuff. Um, and that's why I share it with you. I share it with you because I've seen that God can do a victory in our life. Not to put shame on you, but to let you know that there can be victory in Jesus Christ. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You know.
Let's look in Acts and let's look at chapter 19. Ephesus was a real pagan place too. It, uh, pagan, what I mean is they believed in false gods and they worshipped them and, and it had a lot to do with lustful behavior, drunkenness, um, substance abuse, uh, um, sexual immorality, those type of sins. And we see in verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Um, that is so important for having victory over sin. Right there. Verse 18, they came openly and confessed their evil deeds. In order to overcome, you have to bring things into the light. In order to experience a victory in your life, you have to bring it into light. If you hide it in your life, if you say, Lord, and I've been here before where I've gone, oh, Lord, I want victory in my life, but I'm not going to tell anybody. Lord, I'll confess it to you, and to you only have I sinned against, Lord. To you only have I sinned against, and I've quoted scripture, but yet I've presumed upon the grace of God. Because I'm saying, oh God, oh yeah, it's to you I've sinned against, but your word tells me to confess my sin to one another too. And it tells me to bring things into the light. But in my prayer life, I say, oh yeah, Lord, I'm confessing to you. But in my heart, do I really want to bring it out into the light? No, I'm scared to death to bring the sin out into the light. But you know, you've got to bring it out into the light. Many of these people, they came to Christ and they brought their sin out into the light. And sin is like fungus, man. It only grows in the dark. If you bring it out into the light, man, that sin, you'll find it just goes away. It, just, it, it, it diminishes so much in strength. You know, and I need to communicate to that, to those here that struggle, is that if you bring your sin into the light, you diminish the sin so much, its power pretty much is gone at the moment you have finally told someone about it. Satan has his power in that secret that's going on. That's where that power lies. And these people, they confess their evil deeds. Now notice, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together. They burned them publicly. So they're just radically taking care of stuff. And then it says in verse 20, in this way the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Do you notice it was when the word grew in power? It was when they what? When they took out all the junk. It was when they finally said, you know what, we're going to get rid of the stuff that isn't pure in our life. Then we see that God used them in a powerful way and God's word went out powerfully in their life. Go with me to Joshua. A really cool example of this is Joshua chapter 7. In the Old Testament, past the book of Deuteronomy. Let me give you a little background on this. It says, uh, or let me just read this. Um, the Israelites had just won a great victory over the very fortified city of Jericho and were preparing for battle against the small town of Ahi, which is spelled A-I. They were not too concerned about the outcome of this battle, due to how small Ahi was, but they lost and they were humiliated. And let's notice why they lost. So you get the picture, right? They go up, the people of Israel, they're going to war. They go up against this big old city, Jericho. And man, God gives them the victory. It's just a beautiful thing. They're so stoked, man, just in the Lord, bathing in the glory of God. And then they come upon this little podunk town. You know, and you, and you get the idea in verse 3 of how this went down. 
And when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go up against Ahi. They're small. Send two or three thousand men to take it and do not be weary. Uh, and do not weary all the people for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ahi who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Man, they couldn't conquer the little tiny town. They just got done conquering this giant city. Now, in chapter 7, verse 1, we get a little insight into what happened. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Now, what they did was this guy, his name's Achan, we see in verse 1. What he did is he was supposed to destroy everything that they got in the city that they took. But what he did is he confiscated some of it. And he took that. And God said, man, you are to destroy sin, everything that has to do with sin. And it was a picture of sin. You need to take it out, destroy it, burn all their stuff, burn everything. And he didn't. He hoarded it. He took it. Him and his family, and and they used it. And now we get to verse 10 of this story, and it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. Now, you've got to understand, Joshua here was just totally bummed. He was the commander. And they just took Jericho, and they won, and now they go against this little town, and they don't win. So he's thinking, Man, what is going on? I can't even take this little tiny town. You know, something's wrong. And, And so he's praying on the ground, and God says, Stand up. And he says, what, you are doing down, what are you doing down on your face? Man, if God says that to you, that's got to be pretty hardcore. Huh? <laughs> what are you doing down there, man? Um, and then he says, Israel has sinned. And he says, they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. They will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So why couldn't couldn't they stand? It was because they did not remove the sin. And they would not win until they finally removed all the sin. And as the story goes, they had to remove every trace of the sin before they could conquer before they could go up against the little town and win. It's because sin was in the camp. See, purity preceded power. You want to see God move powerfully in your life? Seek purity. Don't seek strength. A lot of times, like I said, we pray for that strength. But what we really are getting around is really seeking purity before God. Charles Spurgeon says something about this, he says, there must be a divorce. Now, when Charles Spurgeon said that, he yelled it. I just want to let you know. <laughs> he didn't say it like I'm saying it. Within the egg of sin, there sleeps the seed of damnation. Man, there must be a divorce between you and your sins, not a mere separation for a season, but a clear divorce. Cut off the right arm, pluck out the right eye, and cast them from you, or else you cannot enter into eternal life. There has to be a total cutting off. Jesus, he quotes, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, quotes Jesus Christ, right? Jesus of Nazareth. 
If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. And that's called radical amputation. Amputating your sin. That your sin is going to destroy you and you need to radically amputate it. Not presume upon the grace of God, but radically amputate it. And what that means is to the, to the alcoholic, that means, man, there's an amputation of everything that was in your life that caused you to stumble in that area of your life. If there was something in your life, if there's, if there's a way that you come home from work and that there's something that tips you off to that substance, then you need to avoid that area. You amputate that from your life. From those that are involved in pornography, that means you need to amputate your laptop. You need to amputate your computers. You need to amputate whatever it is that triggers your brain to go into that direction. You have to be radical about seeking purity. Because remember, the word says that we are to reflect a holy God. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So we can't just be light about it. You know, and that's why Jesus says you have to be radical about it. You know, amputation, man. Is it tough? Yeah. But you know what? If you pray for strength, you'll never find it. You will never find amputation. You'll be saying, God, give me the strength over that sin. And yet it's right there. But if you say, hey, Lord, give me a heart for purity today. Give me a heart for purity as you are pure. Man, you will do everything to amputate every area that's going on in your life so that you don't get back involved with those things. See, it's a wonderful thing that God would use us to show his glory to the world. That God would use people like you and me to indwell our lives so that when people want to know about the love and the purity of God, they would look at you and look at me. But with becoming a child of God, man, there's such great responsibility over what is coming into our lives and what we're doing in our lives. And I'm here to tell you, you know what? God can do a work in your life. And I plead with you guys. I plead with you. The church stats on all this stuff are horrible. I mean, we know that. But let's do it, start here to get real, to bring things into the light, to seek purity, to seek a pure God. Don't continue to go down the road of habitual sin in your life, of just keep going down and down and down it. There's a way that it can be put to an end. Make it today, man. Make it today. Let's pray and let's ask for God's victory over the sins in our life. We see his word and we see how he's talked about the principles in his word about purity before power. And now we just want to seek it through prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and, and, and Lord, we do remember that you are a holy God and that you desire so much to break the chains, Lord. Um, of sin in our life to give us victory and we remember you jesus saying that you will set us free and that we can have victory in you today Uh, lord i hope that your word has opened up our eyes to areas of our life uh, maybe where we have presumed upon your grace lord maybe where we have uh, looked to you and what you've done for us and in too light of a way lord instead of looking at it uh, that cross and seeing our sins, Lord, that were pierced there. 
Father, I pray that we would just understand the length and the width of your love for us, Lord. And that that love would make us to look and seek you with all of our heart to seek that purity of life. That we wouldn't continue to walk in darkness. And Lord, I pray for those here that, that are walking in darkness. Lord, they're so afraid to bring it out into the light. Lord, I pray through the work of your Holy Spirit that Jesus, you would convict their hearts now. Pour your love on them. Convict them in a gentle way to let them know that you love them, that you care for them. Uh, help all of us to remember your promise that you who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And that, Lord, you're going to see them through. Jesus, I just pray that you would be honored in everything we do as a body, as a church, as individual people, in our business, wherever we're at. Lord, that people, when they see us, we would reflect you. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.